Get to Old Navy now for February's biggest style steal. 40% off all jeans and tees. Jeans start at just 18 bucks for adults, 12 bucks for kids. With tees from just 7 bucks for adults, 6 bucks for kids. All jeans and tees are on sale, even your favorite rock star jeans. All jeans and all tees are 40% off right now. Don't miss out. Run into Old Navy and OldNavy.com today. Valid 211 to 221 excludes in-store clearance jeans and tees. Active license and men's package tees. Black thing go from left to right, and I thought, I'm gonna die out here. No one's ever gonna know. I couldn't believe what my eyeballs were showing me. I'll never forget how evil the eyes were. It was horrible. I mean, I've never seen nothing that evil. It ran towards me at at a rate that I, I I can't even explain. Turned and stared at me, and this look of I just want to kill you. I want to say it was human, but it wasn't. He was, he was he was yelling at me to grab a gun, grab a gun. I was like, for what? He said, just grab a gun. And there's footprints all the way to the door of my house. It had went inside my garage all the way to the door. 911, what are you reporting? Jesus Christ, you better... Sir? Sure. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh-oh. You're listening to Sasquatch Chronicles. Check us out online at sasquatchchronicles.com. If you've had an encounter, email me. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. Got a great show planned for you tonight. Going to be speaking to Teal. And Teal comes to us from uh, Missouri. She's going to be sharing a a very interesting encounter that happened to her while she was camping. Um, But she's also going to be sharing some things that are going on and around her home. And also a park that's close by uh, her home. She had a very, very scary encounter while out there. And it kind of reminded me, I was talking to uh, Doug Waller. I'll see if he'll share it tonight. Uh, But there was an encounter very similar to Teal's. Uh, So you'll definitely want to pay attention to what Teal says and then listen to the encounter uh, that Doug will be sharing from Ohio. And uh, obviously, it's my second guest, uh, Doug Waller from Ohio. He's an investigator out there with the Southeastern Ohio Society for Bigfoot Investigations. Uh, and he's uh, he's been doing it for many years. He's been looking into reports, talking to witnesses, and uh, he's actually written three books, Standing in the Shadows, Hidden Encounters, and Screams in the Night. You can email dwaller465 at gmail.com. Uh, I believe Doug is selling them for $18 a piece. So if you get a chance, check them out. Uh, Hidden Encounters, Screams in the Night, and Standing in the Shadows. So look for Doug coming on later on in the show. Uh, If you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. And if you get a chance, check out sasquatchchronicles.com. There's a daily blog. You could become a member, get additional shows, uh, help support the show. Uh, So if you get a chance, check it out. Let's jump into it tonight. I want to welcome uh, Teal to the show. Teal, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. 
No, I appreciate you being here. And I know you had three encounters, and I posted them to the blog, uh, I think it was last week. Uh, but for the audience that hasn't, hasn't heard them, um, I know one was when you guys were camping, and most of the other encounters are happening around your home, even a playground that's near your home. Uh, but if you would, for the audience, would you kind of start from the beginning and, and walk us through these encounters, if you would? Okay. Uh, my first encounter, um, basically, uh, we, we have a like a recreational subdivision kind of camping lot thing um, where you can camp and fish, uh, things like that. Um, it's about an hour away from our house. Uh, we go out there quite a bit. It's um, Our lot's pretty secluded. So we have, we have like one neighbor, <laughs> but uh, anyways, the, it happened in the summer of 2014. It was Memorial Day. Um, I went camping with my husband and two of my friends and my one-year-old at the time. We had a long day. We went swimming. Um, just it was pretty pooped. Uh, my husband had actually decided to go to a friend's campsite that was about five or ten minutes away and kind of hang out that evening. My friends and I we kind of made dinner and kind of lounged around and uh, finally decided to go ahead and go to bed. So anyways, once we all settled down, we kind of fell asleep. And um, I had awoke in the middle of the night and I heard footsteps um, over to the right-hand side of like by my head towards like right next to our tent. Um, I kind of sat up a little bit. Um, I I figured it was my husband. I figured maybe he had come back from our friend's site and I, I yelled out to him. And when I did, the footsteps had stopped. And that freaked me out because um, my husband, he, if it were him, he would have instantly been like, hey, it's me. He knows I'm a scaredy cat. <laughs> and um, so I kind of sat there for a few minutes and the footsteps picked up again and kind of went all throughout our camp. Um, but it, they kept coming back to our tent, like over to where I was sitting, like where I was laying. And um, I, at that point, I got freaked out and I thought, you know, like, who is, who, who is this? Uh, I kind of pulled my daughter closer and I was kind of trying to like peek out the mesh windows, but it, it was so dark. I couldn't see anything. Um, there, we had no lights, no nothing. So it was pitch black. Um, so the footsteps went on for at least 45 minutes to an hour. Um, I ended up falling asleep. And the next morning when we woke up, I kind of, I was hoping that it was my husband and he would be maybe falling asleep in our camping chairs or something like that. Um, but when we got up, there was nobody there. Um, he wasn't there. He ended up spending the night at our friend's tent uh, camping site. So, and he swears he never came back. Yeah, that's strange. Very strange. You know, <laughs> you, to walk, even walk up to someone's tent, especially in the middle of the night, could be very dangerous, you know, and to be going yeah. through someone's camp. Uh, did you hear any vocalizations or anything, or could you hear it breathing or... No, it was, everything was dead silent. It was literally just footsteps. You can hear it crunching in the leaves. And even like where, where the footsteps had started, which is we like the way our campsite is the, like there's an opening, but that was like where our fire pit and stuff was. So in order to get to my side of the tent, it actually had to come up through the woods. So if somebody would have stumbled into our camp, it's not even where my tent was, isn't even where they would have come into if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that does. It's very strange and, and, you know, scary, especially being out there yeah. hearing footsteps Definitely. around your tent, you know? And so did you just kind of brush this incident off and then? I, I did. I totally just kind of forgot about it until this, uh, our, our last summer, the summer we just had, um, we had went camping again. Um, 
by this time, you know, we have three kids now and uh, we took all three of them just for kind of an impromptu little camping trip to get away. It was one night, um, same campsite, same lot, the lot we have, it's our land. So no one else camps on it. It's no one else's. Um, we went back, had a completely normal camping trip, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, you know, I had taken a ton of pictures and uh, when we got home, I was going through the pictures and in one of the pictures I had taken, um, my kids were all sitting around the campfire eating marshmallows and there's eye glare in the back of the picture. Um, I had shown my mom it and she actually, she thinks she can see an outline of a body, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell personally. I messed with all the filters and just couldn't tell, but that enough there, it, as soon as I saw it, it instantly brought this back up to me. Cause it's like, you know, what could that be? Cause I mean, if you look at where the eye glare is and how my kids are sitting, I mean, this, whatever this is has to be super tall. So, yeah, and, and did you send me that picture? I did. I, I uh, linked it to the original uh, email. I also sent a picture of our campsite so you could see how everything was set up. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at that. That's a little creepy to see something like yeah. that in a photo, you know. <laughs> Definitely creepy. And was it close to where you guys were camping? Were you guys kind of in the same um, general area? Or? Yeah. Uh, see, our neighbor, we have uh, two lots in between our neighbor and I. So uh, there's like kind of this – see, our lot backs up to a lake, and um, – there's a service, like a, like a gravel road that kind of goes down there, but it's blocked off. So whatever this was, was, it was just right out of the camouflage. It was right there in the shadows. It had to have at least just been on the edge of our, our lot kind of staring. It looked like it was staring at us. So <laughs> it's very strange. And Teal, you want to tell us about the encounter at the house with the window tapping? Yeah, it was our second encounter or my second encounter. Um, it was, um, it was New Year's Eve, 2014 or the last day in 2014. And, um, I was home alone and my husband had went out to a party and I, I didn't want to go. And, um, it started getting late and I got all the kids in bed as I'm cleaning up and doing stuff. I could hear somebody walking around on our deck outside. And, um, I instantly was like, you know, wait, this is too early for my husband to be home. So I kind of walked over to the window and I looked outside and I couldn't see anything out on the deck. And, uh, uh, I kind of shrugged it off. I was like, you know, maybe an animal had climbed up there and, um, I kind of went back to cleaning and, um, messing around. Uh, and I started hearing taps on my window and it started at my kitchen window. Instantly I freaked out. I was like, you know, what is that? So I grabbed a flashlight and I went to go look out. I couldn't see anything. I kind of sat for a few minutes. I turned my TV off and just listened. And then I heard it tap on my bedroom window. So I go run into the bedroom window and I look out it. There's nothing there. And um, this probably happened at least three or four more times kind of throughout the night. Um, uh, but it, it tapped on my kitchen window more than anything. And the more I got thinking about it, my kitchen window, it sat about, I mean, I'm only 5'3", and I, I, if I stood on my tippy toes, I can't touch this window from the outside. I mean, it's tall. So I had called my husband, and he'd come home, and he kind of looked around, and, um, you know, we couldn't see anything. Um, you know, with it being winter, the ground was frozen, so there was no footprints or anything like that. Um, and then a few days later, it was in that same exact week, I had, I had left something out in my car. And this was on the other side of the house. So, and it's the only side of our house that had a porch light. 
and the porch light wasn't that great. It probably reached out maybe 10 feet off of the side of the house, barely even touched my car. So I, I get about a few feet out my door and, you know, I'm not paying attention. I'm staring at my feet, walking along. And I hear this super low growl that almost turned into kind of a scream. It, it was so terrifying and I could feel it. Like it felt like it bubbled my guts. That's how hair raising it was. And as soon as I heard it, I just instantly turned around and I hauled back to my door. I slammed the door. I went running in. I started crying. My husband's freaking out. He's like, what's going on? And I was like, I explained to him what I had heard. And he goes running out there with a gun and a flashlight and he can't find anything. And, you know, his first, he's like, well, maybe it was a bear or maybe it was a bobcat. And um, so instantly I started getting online and listening to all these videos of the noises they make. And I couldn't find anything that matched this sound. I mean, I still haven't to this day found anything that sounds remotely like what I heard. After I had wrote you, I for, totally forgot to put in, we, we actually moved a few months after that had happened and we moved just across the street. And um, this probably happened at the beginning of this summer too. My husband had left to go out of town for work and I had gotten out of the shower one night and I heard my dog growling and I kind of stopped and I paused because it was dead silent in the house. Everybody was asleep. It was just me up. I was like, why is the dog growling? And I heard something tap on my front kitchen window in the new house. So I freak out. Yeah, I go up there with a flashlight and look out the window. I can't see anything. I called the cops, had them search my whole property. And I never had it happen again after that. But it totally brought me back to that night when it happened over at the other house across the street. The tapping on the window is just creepy. You hear of that type of behavior all the time. And I think mm-hmm. if it would have been like a um, a prowler or or a peeping tom, I think they would have caught him, mm-hmm. you know. And the fact yeah. that it, that's just weird. Yeah. And what's really weird, too, is like when I first got out of the shower, like I didn't even hear the tap right away. I heard the dog growling. And I was like, what is he growling about? And when I first looked on, like I turned on my, uh, uh, like a light kind of near the kitchen. I didn't want to turn all the kitchen lights on because if it was somebody there, I didn't want to scare him away. I wanted to see who it was. But the dog was, he was a puppy at the time. He was backed up in the back of this crate, all of his hair standing up, and he was terrified. And it it just tapped on the window three times, just tap, tap, tap. And that's all it was. But it was totally, it was almost identical to what happened at that other house right across the street. Yeah, that's terrifying. Well, tell us mm-hmm. about the, and I'm curious about the last encounter. Um, yes. how, now how close to that was that to your home and to some of these other areas? Uh, the, my very last encounter that just happened a few, that, that was like a few days ago. Um, this happened maybe five minutes from my house. Oh, wow. And if you would, would you yeah. walk us into it? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, there's a park by our house. It's called Robertsville state park. Um, it's a, it's like a, it backs up to a river and they've got a massive campground and, um, just completely secluded in the woods down in the middle of the country. Um, it was a really super warm, sunny day. Um, and we had gotten up super early. So I was like, I, I want to take the kids to the park, you know, take advantage because this might be our last nice day. And, um, we go to the park and usually it's pretty full. There's tons of people there hiking and camping. And when we went this particular day, it, it was like a ghost town. There was nobody there. Um, there was no cars, no nothing. 
So um, the playground's about halfway into the park. Um, so we go in, and um, when I park, or the playground's like circled by wood. So there's one road in. It's the same road in that takes you out. So if anybody would have been down there, you would have seen them. There's no way you could have not. So we get out of the car, and I notice there's commotion up in the woods, um, just heavy commotion. Like it, it sounded like three or four guys just stomping around in the woods. But I didn't really pay t- much attention to it because, you know, normally when we go to this park, it's pretty full of people. So there's always sounds, and I just it, it, it didn't catch my attention too much. So the kids get out of the car and they take off running to the playground and they start yelling and cheering and playing and the commotion in the woods had stopped. Um, So the kids get to playing and there's nothing weird really. I mean, my daughter, about 15 minutes in, she starts complaining that she has to go to the bathroom. And up behind us, there is a, a restroom. So I gather all three of them and we, it's about two or three minutes distance away from the playground and we get to walking up and the whole time we're walking up, it's just this eerie, weird feeling like, like somebody's watching you. I mean, we got about halfway and I had to stop and just kind of look around me. That's how odd it felt. And, um, we get up to the bathroom and, um, I actually locked the main door to the bathroom when my daughter was in there. So nobody else would come in on us just because. it it just felt like somebody was watching us. We make our way back down to the playground and um, I'm actually sitting on a bench that um, if you're in the woods, you wouldn't be able to see me sitting on the bench. It's kind of blocked by the playground. Kids are playing and I hear this loud crack noise and it instantly caught my attention. It sounded like it was right on the wood line. It was almost like a, like, like a wood on wood sound, if that makes sense. I kind of stop and I'm watching and a few seconds later I hear another one and then it's followed by a, a tree hitting the ground. And I mean, it had to have been a massive tree. I mean, it hit and you could feel the vibrations in the ground when it hit. Um, my daughter stopped, my oldest stops playing and she actually asked me what it was. And I told her, I was like, I guess a tree fell, but you know, I'm staring off into the wood line and I can't see anything. And, um, we kind of go back to, you know, kids go back to playing, doing what they're doing. And I start hearing footsteps coming through the woods from where the tree had fallen, um, probably about halfway in between me and where the tree had fallen. And it sounds like it's maybe just a few feet away from the wood line and it's walking the wood line up towards us. And I stand up because obviously at this point I hear the footsteps and I'm, I'm freaked out. So I stand up and I look out into the wood lines and I, I look at my kids and I'm like, guys, get to the car. Let's go. The footsteps stop. And I kind of crouched down to, cause my kids didn't hear me. My, my daughter was like, what'd you say? And um, I crouched down to tell her and I can hear the footsteps start again as I crouched down. And I, I, at that point I yelled, I was like, get to the car now. And I grabbed my two year old and we all took off running as I'm throwing the kids in the car and trying to get in myself, I can hear these footsteps stomping up. And I mean, I'm fully expecting to turn around and see somebody staring at me. And these, I mean, these weren't like normal footsteps. These, these footsteps, it sounded like somebody was going through the woods wearing like, um, uh, like tennis, like tennis rackets on their shoes, like snowshoes. I mean, they were huge footsteps. So I, I get, 
I get everybody buckled in and I just sat there in my car, I locked the doors and I'm just staring out at the wood line for, you know, for, it seemed like forever I was staring and my daughter starts freaking out and, you know, she's like, let's go. I don't want to be here anymore. So we kind of creeped our way out. And, you know, even on my way out, there was still no one, there was no cars, no nothing. The only car that was there is at the ranger station. And I mean, even that was, that's pretty far from the playground. So I don't think it was just anybody stomping around in there. <laughs> That's a terrifying story. That's a really terrifying story. It, uh, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. I mean, that's one of those weird situations. And it is, isn't it funny how we, as humans, we get that, um, you know, like when you're walking to the bathroom and you feel like you're, you know, all eyes are on you. It's just a mm-hmm. weird sensation, too. I, I'm sure most of it has, most of us have experienced, can't even talk tonight. Uh, most of us have experienced that, you know, as adults, but it's a weird feeling yeah. that you get. Um, did, and no one saw anything. They they stayed no. in the wood line the whole time. Yeah. And I mean, the, I, I mean, here in Missouri, too, all the leaves are falling off. So, yeah. I mean, it was it was still thick to where you couldn't see through. But I mean, I couldn't see anything. So, I mean, and it, it sounded so close. So whatever it was, it was hidden well. <laughs> I mean, I just, I couldn't make it out. I couldn't see anything. And, you know, and like right when we started running towards the car, I fully expected to turn around and meet somebody face to face. I mean, uh, the the wood line was only maybe three car lengths away from where I had parked. So, I mean, we're, we're talking pretty close. This was, I mean, it was close. <laughs> Yeah, and you would think, you know, they do have a fascination, it seems like, with children, especially when you hear mm-hmm. encounter stories with them. And so I would imagine a park like that, that's a perfect place to sit there and watch kids play all day, you know, if you wanted to. Um, and yeah. that's terrifying. I mean, that's ter- yeah. that's really is terrifying. I love your description of it wearing, like, tennis rackets for feet, because you're right, it's really hard yeah. to <laughs> explain that to someone, you know, because, you know, a footstep is a footstep, but... It's not. Yeah. It's not when you hear them. It. it no. Yeah. These footsteps. It's like it. it I guess it, it. It's almost like they cut. It will. It covers more ground, so they're louder. Yeah. It's just. It's way more distinct. Yeah. And it, it just. It. It was. It was not human. Whatever it was. Because I mean, I. I've been. I've only been hunting a few times with my husband. I mean, I'm not. I'm not like a huge avid hunter. So I, I mean, but. I. I could tell the difference. So. I make sense in my head. I mean, (laughs) yeah, no, I understand exactly what you mean. And two, you know, if it would have been a bear, you wouldn't be describing footsteps the way you're describing them. And I think a bear, if it would have been in there, that area, obviously heard the kids, knows Mm -hmm. you're there, and a bear would have came out. If there would have been something wrong with that bear, but it would have came out towards you guys. And yeah, and it was weird. Like, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, this, it was like, what really freaked me out was that like when I was ducked down and blocked by the playground, it would continue walking. But as soon as I stood up, it, they would, it was like, it froze. It just stood there waiting to see what I was going to do. And that's, I think that's what freaked me out even more. And I was like, I, I mean, I got three kids. It's not like I could just grab one and go, I got to get all three of them in the car. So that was, I mean, that's what scared me the most was wondering, you know, how am I going to make sure all three, I get, I get all three of them in this car and get them safe. <laughs> yeah. It's scary. Have you been back to that park? 
haven't, my daughter, she now calls it Sasquatch Park. She doesn't want to go there. (laughs) And um, my oldest, like anytime I even mention it, because I mean, it's right by her house. And anytime I mention going, she instantly freaks out and she doesn't want anything to do with it. And, you know, for her, that's weird because they love the park. So, I mean, it didn't just scare me. It obviously scared her too. So, yeah. But I've been trying to talk a friend of mine into, because it's a campground, and I've been trying to talk her into going camping with me up there, but we're both two chickens. (laughs) Yeah, well, be careful if you do that. It's uh, it's definitely terrifying, but I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing it, Teal. No problem. Thanks for having me. And next up on the show, I want to welcome uh, Doug Waller to the show. Uh, Doug is a researcher and author. Uh, he's written three books, uh, Hidden Encounters, Screams in the Night, and Standing in the Shadows. And if you'd like to get a copy of his books, they're $18 each. You can contact Doug at D Waller, uh, D-W-A-L-L-E-R-465 at gmail.com. Uh, to contact Doug, if you want to email him about an encounter, or if you'd like to contact him about his books, uh, Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Wes. Pleasure to be here. No, I appreciate you being here, Doug. I know you're an investigator for the Southeastern Ohio Society for Bigfoot Investigations. Kind of a <laughs> kind of a mouthful, uh, but I know you're very serious about it. And I know you go and you take reports and you follow up with people and you collect evidence. Um, And I want to get into some of these encounter reports that you've looked into. But before we do that, uh, what got you interested into Bigfoot, Doug? Because I know you haven't had an encounter yourself, but how did your interest start? I've always been interested in it. I think my first recollection of Bigfoot would have been back in the early 1970s when the Missouri Monster was making headlines. I don't recall the uh, Patterson-Gimlin film when it came out. I was still in high school then and probably still chasing after cars and girls, and I, I must have missed it. But, yeah. but when Momo started stomping around in Missouri, I, I did uh, become aware of that, and I took an interest on it. So I I would uh, keep abreast of anything that come on TV or uh, magazine or newspaper articles. And then in the 1980s, I started going to the Bigfoot meetings that Don Keating ran in Newcomerstown, Ohio. And I attended a number of those and, you know, still remain very curious and interested in it. But what piqued my interest was in 1992 when I got hired by the Guernsey County Library in Cambridge, Ohio, I suddenly had all these uh, library books at my disposal. So I I started reading everything I could on the subject and soon exhausted the source that we had on our shelves. So I I went to, through the interlibrary loan system and had books sent from other libraries. And I just couldn't get enough information fast enough. It seemed like I was always reading two or three Bigfoot books, you know, at the same time. Once I went through that list, I discovered that if I could come up with a title and an author and we would send a fax to the state library, 
they could get books from uh, clear across the country. So I know I had uh, I had stuff coming in from California, Washington, Oregon. You know, I had some John Green's books that were hard to get over here, and Vance Orchard and Mike Quast out of Minnesota. So I, I've had a you know very extensive uh, uh, reading list that's probably over 200 books. But, you know, that still doesn't qualify me as being an expert because I, I feel there's no such thing as an expert in this field. Um, I started researching started researching in uh, 2006 and had some other people that were interested in this uh, field as well as I. And... We started our group, the Southeastern Ohio Society for Bigfoot Investigations, in uh, 2008. And we like to just call it SOSBI because, you know, it's a hell of a lot easier to say, S-O-S-B-I, than all that mouthful. Yeah. So uh, we would uh, do investigations, and we started having meetings and campouts and uh, speaking engagements. And it's grown now to where... uh, Actually, have written three books, and I'm working on the fourth. Just been crazy with, uh, you know, speaking at libraries and civic groups, and did a couple, three conferences this year. Put over uh, 2,000 miles on my car this fall, just driving around to libraries and stuff, and speaking. And there are so many stories out there yet to be found out. That's what I'm trying to do. You know, I've I've got a pretty vast collection of Bigfoot books that I own. And, you know, I treasure these books. I like the book rather than the e-book. I like to be able to hold it and turn the pages and walk in the next room with it. Yeah, um, I'm kind of the same way. So many of the classic tales in there, you know, Patterson Gimlin and and, uh, uh, Ruby Creek and Fred Beck. You know, I've got so many... I got several books that tell those stories, but what I like to hear are the ones that I've never heard before. And that's what we, we find a lot when we go to these library talks and stuff and we, we present the evidence, you know, and we don't try to force somebody to believe in these creatures or not. We just put the evidence out there and try to answer questions as best we can and let them decide and, uh, well, let me we ask you. you can, yeah. Let me ask you, Doug. What what evidence are you presenting for people to make their mind up? Well, a lot of people are, uh, believe it or not, some people are under the misconception that there is one Bigfoot. Then, uh, you know, there are uh, family groups of these creatures, and uh, a lot of people, you know, some of the witnesses that I've talked to were so shocked when they had a sighting and they, they thought, well, first of all, I didn't believe in these things. And if the smallest, remotest chance that they were an actual creature, then they certainly weren't in Ohio or West Virginia. You know, they were out in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, and other people said, well, I heard of these creatures and didn't think much of it, but they were always supposed to be black or, or brown. And then when they see a white one, it just totally blows them away. And, you know, some people also thought, well, they're they're always listed as being upright and walking like a man. Well, they do, but they'll also drop down on 
all fours, you know, and they're quadruped then, and vice, you know, vice versa. They can switch from one to the other. So we just kind of try to educate people. And um, one thing I will say probably of, of the dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of witnesses that I've talked to by now, uh, well over 50%, maybe 75%, were total skeptics when they had their encounter or sighting, whichever it was. They didn't believe in these things at all. And the shock of that thing standing in front of them, you know, blinking its eyes and its chest going up and down, you know, expanding and contracting. And they thought, that is not somebody in a costume. That thing is a living, breathing animal in front of me. I don't know what kind of an animal, whether it's a a beast, a monkey, a human, or what? But it is something that's alive. I'm curious. What is some of the what's maybe a couple of the most interesting encounters you've been told, or someone's come up to you and shared with you that really stuck with you? Well, of course, you know i I kind of cut my teeth on the uh, Lorena Cunningham story. From uh, she was featured on the the um, Finding Bigfoot program. As a matter of fact, when the the producer called me back in 2011 and said that she'd found our group on the internet. And she said, we were going to be coming to Ohio and staying in Cambridge and we're going to be shooting video out at Salt Fork. And we want to know if you can hook us up with some witnesses. I said, yeah, I, I can do that. And so I was aware of uh, Lorena Cunningham having not just one, but, two sightings and then another encounter. So I introduced the producer to uh, Lorena and she made the final cut, you know, at the, the town hall meeting and she was featured on the program, but uh, she had a, an unusual daytime sighting back in 1984. And I believe the, the whole sighting took place because, um, she had three children with her, and the, and the two older ones were maybe five and seven, and they were girls, and they were playing on this playground equipment, you know, and laughing and giggling and having a good time. And then Lorena, being female herself, I feel that this creature did not feel you know, intimidated by a woman and, and young children. So it come right out in the open and was like 30 yards away looking at him, you know, and of course, Lorena was absolutely terrified thinking that this, whatever this thing was, was going to run out and grab her kids and kill them and eat them and then do the same to her. But, you know, in talking with her, she said that the the creature had several different uh, expressions come across its face and none of them were malicious. You know, it was actually enjoying the moment. It was grinning because these kids, you know, were having a good time playing. And and this, uh, this Bigfoot, it was a female. She could see the breasts on it and see the fingernails. And, you know, there again, see its eyes blink and its chest, you know, move up and down. Um, she was scared of it because of the sheer size of it. But it, isn't, it did not show any uh, uh, viciousness in its expression. Well, then since it was a female, she thought, oh, God, you know, 
maybe it wants to steal my children. Maybe it had a young one and it died or something, and now it's going to steal my kids. So that was very terrifying. But I'd heard Lorena, Lorena tell her story numerous times, you know, since the 12 or 15 years that I've known her. I've never heard her change a word, you know, in the story. And uh, that's what really got me interested. And then, you know, when I would interview other people and hear other stories, I find a, a lot of similarities in one story to the next. You know, there's there's certain common denominators that kind of helps determine whether the witness is telling you the truth or not. Did she go into details about the face? Did she say whether it looked more human? Did it look more um, animal-like? Uh, did she go into well, any... She actually... Yeah, she actually did a uh, sketch of it, and um, it's in my first book, her sketch. My first book is Standing in the Shadows, and and what she has drawn looks more uh, ape-like. You know, I know, I know some of the sketches that um, you know David Polites has in his books that Harvey Pratt did. Some of those just look like uh, humans. You know, I've seen. You know, I laugh and say I've seen people come in the library that look like some of those sketches that Harvey did. But, you know, people don't all look alike. You know, there's different ethnicities. You know, there's, you know, uh, Aborigines and Asians and Eskimo and Europeans, and we don't all look alike. So is there different subspecies of these creatures? Um, you know, because they certainly aren't all identical. Have you ever talked to someone who felt like their life was in danger with the encounter? Like they, they felt like they were really yeah. threatened. Yes. Uh, matter of fact, in my, uh, my third book, there are two stories in there of people that were so traumatized by their encounters. One was an actual sighting and the other, the, uh, the man didn't even see it. He just heard the screams. They were so traumatized, they actually moved away from where they lived. You know, when this took place, they moved into the city. And um, one that? guy actually cry, cried on the phone when he was telling me his encounter. And he, he was an avid outdoorsman, you know, hunting and fishing and stuff. And, and he heard the, the screams down in um, Jackson County, Ohio, uh, at the back end of a, a lake one night. And it scared him so bad, he left everything he had right on the shoreline. You know, his his tackle boxes and his fishing rods and his chairs and his uh, Coleman lanterns. He had a grill out and cooking catfish on it. And he heard the screams and he collected his wife and they jumped in the truck and left never went back, just left everything. Moved about three counties away. He was so frightened. I kind of introduced him to three or four other people that had had uh, encounters and sightings and, and said, you know, talk to this guy and see if you can help him work through this because, you know, it's really affected him. Yeah, and it, it does. It does affect a lot of people, especially sightings. You said there was another one where there was an actual sighting? Yeah, there was a lady in uh, Tennessee that was driving. She had her young son. They'd been to the emergency room for the boy. He had a leg injury or something. 
and they were almost home, and they lived uh, right down on Norris Lake in Tennessee. And this thing, uh, they were probably um, less than a mile from home, and this thing came across the road, and she almost hit it. And her little boy was strapped into the car seat, and she had turned her head to tend to him for just a second. She was trying to keep him awake. So when she got to the house, she, you know, she didn't want to wake him up and carry him in. She wanted him to stay awake until he got home and in his own bed and then he could fall asleep. But she just turned her head for an instant and she saw his eyes get big and he kind of pointed and said, monster. And she turned her head and this thing was right at the front of the car. She almost hit it. Well, in, in talking to her, uh, I, I determined that the thing apparently had been coming around the house and looking in the window. It was attracted to this little boy. She said that she had the, the, the kid was maybe two or three years old and she had him in uh, uh, a target store or Walmart or something one time. And they had the, the Chewbacca dolls and he saw those. And she said, he has never seen any of the star Wars movies. And yet he, he saw that Chewbacca doll and he wanted it and he about threw a fit and he kept calling it my monster, my monster. And she's thinking, you know, has this thing been around the house? And I, I was asking her, well, then she did report, yeah, she smelled this real stinky, as strong as a skunk smell around the house, but she'd never, it wasn't quite a skunk, but she'd never seen anything herself. But she talked to some of the, um, neighbors and they'd kind of told her there was stuff going on and then we did a an internet search on her uh, her county and you know on bfro and some other sites and found that there had been three reports so we kind of put two and two together and thought it's possible this thing's been looking in the window at the little boy because the little boy didn't show any fear of it you know he was kind of attracted there was a mutual attraction but the lady just said, I cannot live there worrying about that thing. And if it's been coming and looking in the window, you know, I saw it myself less than a mile away. So she moved, um, I forget, like an hour away to some city because of that. Did she describe to you what she saw going across the road? Uh, yeah, let me look. I'm going to have to look in my book and see if I have a... I think she she actually did a sketch, too. Let me look in here real quick and see if it says she did a she did a sketch and it was a very good job and it it kind of looks ape like you know uh, very broad shoulders kind of a pointed head um, and how far do you, remember, do you remember how far away from her home she saw this thing less than a mile it was it was uh, old Middlesboro Highway onto Powell Valley Marina Road. I see the name of the town it was down by at Norris Lake, but she moved to Knoxville after this happened because she couldn't, uh, she just couldn't deal with it anymore. She didn't feel safe. She smelled something like rotten eggs when it walked across the road. Oh, so she did smell it as she, as it was going by. That's interesting. Yeah. It, don't you find it strange that some witnesses report that and some witnesses don't? Well, I think that there able to produce the smell 
guess, you know, at will, like a skunk does, or like a um, an octopus can release the ink. But you're right. Some witnesses don't report any smell whatsoever. Others do. And I think that uh, under stress or as a defensive measure, they can emit this odor. And it's, you know, according to her story, she almost hit it. It darted across the road and she almost hit it. And maybe that was enough to cause it to break wind or whatever it would be called when it emits the smell. Yeah, the other question I want to ask you is is regarding children, um, because you do get these reports of them coming up to children's window, and I'm not completely right. convinced it's all for a curiosity and fun. I'm just not completely convinced mm-hmm. that's the only motive, and so it worries me a little bit. You know, I've talked to little kids. Oh, sure. Um, I can yeah. think of one where the parents called me, and the this eight-year-old kid wouldn't stop talking about the monster at his window. The monkey, he called it the monkey. The monkey at his mm-hmm. window, and they mm-hmm. wanted to know. They had done some research and and found my website. They were looking at sounds. They were looking at everything, and I don't think the parents were convinced it actually existed. So, um, I talked to the kid, and it's he. Kid's probably the best witness I've I've talked to in a long time. Uh, this kid could mm-hmm. tell you everything about the face. Could tell you everything about the teeth. Could tell you everything about the eyes. Um, even to the point of that it's not actually a real whites to the eyes. It's more of a yellowish reddish tinge. I mean, this kid had mm-hmm. better descriptions than I've ever heard, you know, unless he's been a researcher his whole life. Uh, yeah. There's no way this kid would have known that. And then when the parents put me back on the phone, I said, uh, your kid's probably the best witness I've ever talked to. And there was dead silence on the phone. And I, I don't think they truly believe the kid. And then, you know, after starting to do some research, they were starting to find out that there was something going on here. I'm telling you, I was telling the parents, there's something going on here. Something's coming up to this kid's window. There's way too detailed of descriptions for this kid to be making it up. This isn't like a, you know, I saw a leprechaun type story. This kid has real descriptions that it would take years and years of research for this kid to come up with some of this stuff. But what's your take? I mean, why do you think that they come up to to windows of kids? Do you think it's what's your opinion on it? Well, they are extremely interested and attracted to children, and uh, there again, I I try to tell people, uh, you know, I don't think they have to worry about the thing, you know, breaking in and stealing the kid, but I, I certainly can't guarantee that. I mean, I would I would hope that doesn't happen, but who knows, you know, maybe it has. But they don't feel um, threatened by children, and even though they're, I think, fully aware that the, the children has parents in the home and dad might have a 300 Weatherby or something, you know, and he's got to, you know, defend that child, at all costs, they still will come up and do this. I've I've done uh, investigations, you know, and, and you think the the child would not be a very credible witness, but when you start looking at other evidence, you know, I've I've taken other reports like this, and uh, and when you start uh, adding other things up, like the uh, the neighbor across the way reported a a prowler, you know, a big guy out behind the house. And uh, he says, uh, 
he ran he ran up over the hill and he was very fast stuff like that and uh, you know you'll find under the window maybe not actual footprints but you'll find where something stood there and smashed down the flowers and uh, I've heard of people uh, finding handprints on you know on the outside glass where something's been looking in so uh, you know that people really love to hear that. I just did one this this week over by uh, Dillon Reservoir. The lady the lady heard uh, what she thought was a siren. They test the sirens over here, you know, the tornado siren on Wednesdays at noon, and this was a a Monday at 9:30 at night. And she was standing right at the back door. She smokes, but she doesn't smoke in the house, so she had the sliding door open. And she heard this thing, and she thought, why is that siren going off, you know, at 9.30 at night? Because it sounded like that, and then it was different. And when it when it stopped, she heard a series of grunts, like, ooh, 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 ooh. There was like four or five grunts. And that scared her to the point where she shut the door and came in, and she thought, that's some kind of an animal, but I don't know what. And she did internet search and uh, she she just googled up what kind of an animal sounds like a siren and it eventually led her to the Ohio how or the Columbiana County how and then she found us you know online and so I went over and talked to her and we've been getting uh, you know a lot of chatter on our page about that report and found out that there were uh, some incidents that took place two years ago during deer season, and they actually found tracks of three different individuals. Uh, and these things kind of harassed some uh, deer hunters that were camping over there. So you know, this lady's terrified now. You know, she, and you know, she's asking me, "Am I safe? Should I move? You know, should we get a a gun? Should we do this? Should we do that?" And you know, I say, "Well, you know, it's not their." You know, their their demeanor is not the type where they're going to come and kick the door in and come in and murder you. But I, I certainly can't guarantee that. But that's that's not you know what I know about them. And then and then she'll read about the Ape Canyon report online or the the Teddy Roosevelt book, you know, where the trapper got his head his neck broken and said, "Well, what about that? You know, how can you guarantee that?" Well, I can't. Yeah, you do. You get that sometimes when you talk to people. I definitely understand what you mean. It's you almost sometimes it's better not put fuel in the fire. You know what I mean? Sometimes the, the people yeah. are so scared. And if it's not really been aggressive, I'll, I'll usually tell people, you know, just kind of relax, take a deep breath. Um, but, you know, you're right. You can't guarantee that stuff won't happen because you don't know the type of creature that's there or what, you know, wh- what type of mood he's in or. Um, yeah. that siren sounds interesting. You say that because when I first heard the Ohio howl, um, let's see if I have it here. When I first heard that, I thought uh, it sounded like a Sasquatch mimicking a siren 
like some sort of a lot. Yeah. Tornado call actually makes a lot more sense now that you say that. Right. Um, the only downside to that is someone recorded that same type of sound in Texas and another one yeah. I know of in Pennsylvania where the guy sent me the audio and it sounds a lot like the Ohio howl when you play it. I mean, it sounds right. very close. I wondered that too about mimics because I know they're, they're great mimics. You know, they're like the mockingbird of the animal world. And this lady lives very, very close to a, uh, fire department that has one of those sirens and they test it, you know, Mondays at um, 12 o'clock noon on, on, on Wednesday, I guess it is. But uh, you're right. Other parts of the country do have uh, recordings out there that sound very much like the Ohio howl, where the, uh, the creature, I wouldn't think they would have had a chance to have heard a siren, but maybe they did. I don't know. But, um, when you know when people describe hearing it and it's close enough that they can actually feel the vibration in their chest, you know, and it's not coming from the fire department because it's the wrong time, you know, then it, you know it's not a siren; it's something else. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and it's it's odd. It's odd to hear those sounds at night, and you do hear where they mimic people. I wanted to ask you, right. um, what is some of the best physical evidence that you've collected? that you could present to someone to as possible proof that Sasquatch actually exists to someone who doesn't believe that it exists? Well, stuff that I've personally collected, you know, would have to be testimonies from witnesses. We have found tracks. Like I said, we found that hair, which didn't prove to have any DNA, but it was, uh, it was collected off the top strand of a barbed wire fence you know, maybe four feet off the ground. We didn't find tracks to go along with it, but we we questioned the um, property owner about what type of animals could have been in this pasture field and left this hair. I said, now, is there any possibility of it being horse hair? And she said, well, if it had been collected from the, the fence that runs up along the road, Somebody might have ridden a horse up the road and backed into the fence and snagged some hair off of it. But in this case, it was found on the other side, the fence that is on the interior of this pasture, and the property on the other side of that is all wooded. And she said, "There's there's no horses in either part of that." So, but uh, the hair that we pulled off of there was 14 inches long. And she said, well, they don't have any hair that long, you know, even on their tails. And this was found on the top strand. But the uh, the properties had all sorts of activity, you know, for years and years out there. We found tracks in the snow, and they would get uh, screams coming out of the woods, and the the house would be pounded on. The things had been in the barn, and the cattle were afraid to go in the barn in the winter. And then, you know, they thought, well, why won't the cows come in? And they'd find these big tracks in the snow where the creature had pulled up for the night and then come out in the morning before they got up. That's pretty ballsy of a Sasquatch, really, if you think about it, to go on someone's property like that, go into their barn. Uh, there's a major risk yeah. there with it. You know, wh what do you think it'll take to prove to everyone that Sasquatch exists? Well, I think it'll, it, you know, for science to 
accept this. I think it'll take a body or two. Um, you know, we're not advocating somebody go out and try to gun one down, but um, dead or alive, I think that's what it'll take is a body. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Do you ever get frustrated? I mean, do you ever get, you know, how, how much hair do I got to collect? You know, how many tracks do I got to uh, make? How, you know, how many sounds do we got to record? How many eyewitness testimony do I have to um, collect? Well, I, get, I get frustrated by people that hoax things, and then I get also frustrated by, you know, people that get on some of these uh, Bigfoot pages. And, you know, it's one thing to get on there and have a, a debate, but, you know, other people get on there and and they'll start right off and say Photoshop or fake, and then you find out they don't even believe you. Uh, creatures to begin with and said, well, then why are you even on this page? You know, I see stuff on Facebook all the time that I don't necessarily agree with or like, and I, I don't comment. I just scroll on by and go to something else. I get, uh, oh, I've had people give me their, uh, their names and numbers. You know, when we do a library, said, give me a call because I saw one of these creatures. And so when I call them, then the lady says, well, my husband says not to talk to you. And I says, ma'am, I don't need your name. I can name, I can call you Gertrude McGillicuddy, whatever you want me to do, but please just tell me your story. Because, you know, when these people die and take their story to the grave, it's gone. And that's what I'm trying to do is preserve some of these stories. So that's frustrating. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll call the people and then their phone's been disconnected or, their mailbox account hasn't been set up and I can't leave a message. And, you know, I've hit a lot of dead ends like that, but I've also gotten a, a lot of really, really interesting stories and, you know, not just Ohio, other States. And, uh, I'm working on a fourth book and I've even, I've even got a story that'll be in that one from uh, Brazil from a man that came to one of our talks and he was in the military and flying, uh, flying in a helicopter and saw one of these creatures out in the open and it it had to make a mad dash for some trees to conceal itself, but they got a good look at it before it made it to the tree. What did he tell so, you he saw? Did he go into details about what he saw? Well, it you know, for all practical purposes, his description was spot on with a Bigfoot. And, uh, you know, he was from the uh, United States, but the... Uh, the pilot of this helicopter was the one that was really blown away because he was a local. He said, we're not, you know, we're not supposed to have anything like that down here. And he couldn't believe what he saw. And they kept flying around this little clump of trees and it wouldn't come out. It was still in there, you know, concealed. He had a very interesting tale. Once, once he had seen this thing, he started asking some of the locals around there about it and, and uh, I can't remember the the actual story. It, you know, it'll be in the new book, but something about they'd had a drought down there a few years before that, and they had uh, a bunch of cattle in a like a stockade. They'd keep them in there at night, and something would get in there and kill these cattle and like pull their tongues out of their heads. You know, and they'd find the cattle. You could hear the cattle bawling at night. They were something was in there getting them. And none of the locals were uh, brave enough to go in there and see what it was. 
Wow. And they'd find them in the morning dead, you know, with their tongues pulled out. And whatever they call this creature in Brazil, and I, I do have that in my notes, but I don't have them in front of me. He was the one that was the, the suspect. You know, they said something had a, a hand that could grip the tongue and pull it clear out. That's kind of a strange way to kill an animal, don't you think? That's almost enjoying killing something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have enjoyed that myself. <laughs> well, you even get reports of that here. You know, it's, I, I don't know that yeah. uh, people have seen them do it, but. Um, what you'll find a lot in the United States, and I'm sure you've come across this, Doug, is um, people will be feed, feeding them, for example, for a long time, and they know they're feeding them, and they'll feed these Sasquatches, and then they'll stop, or they'll go on vacation, or they'll leave uh, for a while. Right. And when they come back, every animal on that farm is killed. You know, it's uh, there's mm-hmm. an incident, I, a show I did on, where... The guy came home and uh, all his goats had their necks broke. He had like 19 goats and every one of them had its neck broke. And it's because he was, I think he was feeding these things for a long time. Uh, He was in the military. He left for a time period, came back. And when he came back, everything had been killed on his property. And so you, you hear some of that and it makes you wonder if the Sasquatch is, that's directly relating to feeding them and then not feeding them and they get pissed. Um, what do you think Sasquatch is, Doug? It's such an odd creature to try and describe. And obviously, there's no wrong answer. But what's your own personal opinion? Well, I, I'm kind of leaning towards, you know, a uh, some kind of a human, you know, a, a relic human. Or but then you see the ones that look like an ape, and uh, but they definitely are intelligent. And that's what I can't get across to some people. You know, they think, oh, it's a dumb animal. Now. If it's that dumb, how come when we put all these trail cameras up, we don't seem to get anything? It's to the point where I tell people now, if they think they have them around the house and they're worried, I said, put the lights up and the cameras, because in every case that I've worked with, that uh, that caused the activity to cease. You know, they didn't get any pictures of the things just quit coming around the house as long as those trail cameras were up there. But, you know, about feeding them, yeah, you're you're conditioning an animal, you know, if you're putting food out, whether it's unwittingly or not. You know, uh, you start feeding a stray dog, it sure as hell not going to go away. You know, it's not going to say, well, thanks for the meal. I'm moving on down the road. It's going to keep coming back. And I used to feed raccoons here at my house, and I thought it was cute, you know, to sit on the back steps, feed them marshmallows, and I could feed them by hand, and the little ones would come up, and well, it got to the point where after I went to bed, they would come in, and there were more and more all the time, they'd come up and bang on the back of the house, you know, and I'd thought, who the hell's here at one thirty in the morning, and I'd get out of bed and go out there and look, and there's four or five raccoons out there standing up looking in, you know, wanting fed. <laughs> And I'm the one that did it. I created the monster myself. And so you have to really be careful when you do that. And people say, well, I, I throw table scraps out and I just throw them over the fence, but that's for the possums and coons. And yeah, they will eat that. But if that big hairy guy is cruising around and he starts coming in there and getting a hand out and and you stop, then you just like you say. 
You're right. They do get, they seem to get upset. Uh, why do you think they avoid trail cameras? What's your honest opinion on that? Because to me, um, I don't even know that humans could avoid trail cameras. You know, if you put them up, I think most humans are oblivious and walk right past them. And I would say we're smarter than Sasquatch. Um, but, and the old argument that they just, you know, it's their living room and they just notice, I don't buy any of that. I, I, there's something else going on here for them to avoid trail cameras. We can get just about any animal on the planet on a trail camera. Yeah. And granted, some of them, some of them know it's there. You'll see where deers will walk right up to it or bears will walk right up yeah. to it. Um, but well, I don't know, you know, uh, they are very intelligent. Uh, some people said, well, they, they smell it or they, you know, you know, but your smells on everything. If that's your home, you know, how in the hell do you get in unless you grab the doorknob and open the door and go in? So your smells on that doorknob too. But I don't know if it's the infrared or or what it is, but it just seems as if, you know, there again the experiences that I've had, we we don't seem to get anything on the trail cameras. And then there again, the the unfortunate situation about people hoaxing stuff. If somebody were to get excellent, you know, video, first thing people are going to say, "Oh, it's photoshopped. It's computer. You know, it's a computer generated image." So how would you know? You know, I couldn't tell myself if something was real or not when it comes to the technology. There again, we're back to the same thing. You know, it's going to take a body. Regardless, you know, dead or alive, it'll take a body before science, you know, accepts this, except for a few, you know, exceptions, you know, Jeff Meldrum and Grover Krantz and some of the ones back in the day. One other question I wanted to ask you is I wanted to know, uh, have you ever had any reports of this eye glow? Um, I get, you know, eye shine and I'll talk to people. Yeah. I would say 99% of it is nothing more than eye shine. But there's a very small percentage of reports to where you get this eye glow. And there's been many times where I've asked a witness directly, are you sure it can be eye shine? And they'll say, no, they were glowing, uh, like they were lit up, like Christmas yeah. lights. Have you ever had those reports? And yes. What's your take on it? Yes, I have. Well, I know... Uh, Steve Calls and I discussed it one time, and he said there's absolutely no way that um, what's it called bioluminance, luminescence. Yeah, that uh, there's nothing in that eye. You know, it, it can't do that. But you know, if we don't, if we don't have one of the creatures on a table, you know, and dissect it and look and see how it's made and what it's made of, I don't know how we can say that. But yes, I have had reports of of the eyes glowing in the dark without any any kind of light whatsoever. And it reminds me uh, the story uh, from Tony Healy, and there was a co-author, you know, the Yowie. They were talking about uh, there's a mountain range in Australia, and at the foothills of the range, they built these, they started building these homes. And one of the very first homes that was built, the occupants, reported seeing out in the woods at night what they thought were some local boys back out there smoking cigarettes. And they said, you know, it would be 45 degrees and raining and very chilly and just downright nasty. And they would stand in their living room and look out the window and they'd see these glowing cigarettes from out in the tree line. Well, they found out later it was not kids smoking cigarettes. It was eye shine from these yowies 
and they were curious about the home that was being built, you know, at the foothills of these mountains. So, uh, so I do get reports, you know, like that from time to time. Yeah, and it's so odd when you get them because I'm not sure what to do with them. You know, I've I've had enough of them now to where, I uh, you know, I I believe people. Um, I there's no reason not to, but it's just odd. Yeah. It's odd when you hear that. It's it's. I, well, even Sasquatch is odd, to be honest with you, but uh, to yeah. get a report like that is, is very strange. Um, do you take other reports? I mean, have you talked to anyone that talks about the lights or any other strange things? Do you do everything, or is it just mainly Sasquatch? Well, I, I started out just Sasquatch, but we've uh, we've experienced all kinds of very strange happenings over at Salt Fork State Park. I'm, I'm only about 20 minutes from the, uh, the park where I live. So I'm over there quite a bit, and our group has campouts there and stuff. And and we've had people in our group see these very strange lights and orbs and just all kinds of, you know, weird things. I, I'm going to do a whole chapter in my next book about all the strange occurrences at, at Salt Fork. But... Uh, I cannot explain what they are. I know there's there's a picture in my first book of a, uh, a what it looks like is uh, when you look at the picture it, it looks as if at the top of the picture there was a uh, a helicopter or something hovering over there shining a very powerful searchlight down through the trees because you can actually see the light beams coming down through the leaves and going clear down to the ground, and it's got the whole area illuminated. Uh, the picture was taken at 4.30 a.m. by one of our campers at the campout. And when I interviewed the woman, she said it was in total darkness when she took this picture. I said, well, what, what were you taking a picture of? Well, there had been coyotes carrying on and yipping and howling and I woke her up and she had to go to the outhouse and, you know, she was afraid to go by herself. So she woke her father up to, you know, walk with her. And she, she, she did about a one minute uh, video trying to, I guess, capture the eye shine on these uh, coyotes. She never did see any eye shine, but you could definitely hear them. And then when she finished with the video, she snapped one picture with her cell phone camera and in this picture, it shows this light coming down. And I said, holy mackerel, you know, it's, it's, it's like a uh, helicopter was hovering up there shining down a light. Did you hear anything? She says, no, I didn't hear anything other than those coyotes carrying on. Well, I didn't know for some time that not only did she not hear anything, she didn't even see anything. I said, you didn't see that light? She said, damn, I, it was total darkness. I just heard coyotes yipping, and I took a picture in their direction trying to get high shine, and there's this picture with light beams coming down through the trees. Well, then I find other people have seen very similar things over there. Now, what it is, I couldn't tell you. If I had to guess, I would say the military has something that they don't want us to know about. That's, what, that's the only thing I can say, you know, unless you meet unless you want me to come right out and say it's aliens. I don't know what it is, but I just know that several people have seen stuff like this. And do you throw in the fact that it's 
right in areas where we hear screams and howls and there are Bigfoot sightings and they find tracks. Are they connected? Who knows? I know that there was a hell of a lot of weird stuff going on over in uh, Pennsylvania back in the 70s. And Stan Gordon, you know, wrote a very excellent book, Silent Invasion, and it's just full of um, UFO and Bigfoot sightings, you know, that kind of go hand in hand. So I don't know what the connection is, but it seems like there's some sort of a connection. You know, there there's a weird, and I don't know if you even want to go into this, but there's a weird cover-up with Sasquatch, and it's on a very mm-hmm. high level. It's not on your low level. Your low level uh, police officers aren't going to know about it. You're, probably most of your DNR guys aren't going to know about it. I think it's on a higher level, and I think it shit rears its ugly head when – uh, there's actual real evidence that could be collected, mm-hmm. and I think it it gets squashed pretty quick. Uh, do you feel like the, there is a cover up, and if so, do you, do you have any idea why? Well, yeah, I got a I took a report. Uh, this story will be in the book that I'm working on right now of a a man driving to work. This was uh, out on Interstate 70 between uh, Old Washington and Cambridge, and this took place. Oh, maybe a, a year ago, a little less than a year ago, 3.30 in the morning, and he sees what he describes as a body laying along the side of the interstate, and he described it, and his description matches that of a, a Bigfoot. And he said there was blood and tissue all over the right-hand lanes, and he slowed down and got a good look at it, and it the man has some uh, experience with anatomy. He worked in a, a a coroner's office for a while, and when he was in Texas, he was a paramedic. And he said, no, I, I could see the, the arms, the legs. I saw the hair on the body. I saw fingers on the hand. I saw the very large feet. He didn't see the head because the head was lying away from him and the big barrel chest kind of obscured the head. He wasn't able to stop because of the traffic, but he said he was he was talking to his wife on the cell phone, and he described it to her, and he said, I'm coming back when I get off work, and I'm going to get pictures of this. Well, when he came back, everything was gone. He, he described the scene as being sanitized, he called it. It wasn't just cleaned up. It was completely scrubbed free. There was no blood, nothing left. You know, I find that very curious. Who ordered that to be cleaned up so people wouldn't see it? Well, he saw it. You know, there had to be other people see it, but I suppose most people just figured, well, you know, a deer got hit or a cow or something. But he described it as being a Bigfoot. And I hooked him up with um, Sibylla Irwin, and he did a uh, description, and, you know, she did a drawing of it, and we're going to have a story in the next book. But uh, I'd heard of tales like that before, but this was the first time I actually got to talk firsthand to the person who claimed to have seen the thing. Yeah, you know, that's very odd. (laughs) That's very odd because um, I had something similar happen where uh, Woody and I went down, and it's the first time I'd ever seen anything like this. And I had been hunting all over the place, and I'd never seen anything like this. We had stumbled in. It doesn't quite compare to the story you told, but um, where it looked like the branches had been 
twisted, um, like you would twist a matchstick. And they were all in this one area, they were all twisted and going down. Um, we we're it's a long story, I'll give you the very, very short version of it. But we we're walking down this hill, and to get down this hill, you know, I had boots on, and you know, it was tough to get down this, this hill, and there was this. A uh, human-like footprint. This is before I had an encounter, before I really believed in Bigfoot. There was this human-like footprint um, that had – you could tell where it actually had stepped as it was going down this hill. And it wasn't that big. You know, I'd say probably 14 inches, 15 inches. It wasn't big enough to, to for you to go, wow, that's – you know, it's King Kong through here. You know, I thought maybe I was trying to figure out why a guy would take his shoes off and walk down this hill. It's the worst place you could do it. But as we walked down this hill, there was a tree that was pulled out of the ground. I, when I say pulled out of the ground, I mean pulled out of the ground and thrown across the trail. And we walked across mm -hmm. the uh, tree, and we, we were kind of looking at the area and kind of getting a creeped-out feeling like we were being watched. So we left, and um, I t was telling Woody, you know, we got to go back and take pictures of that. we got to get pictures of that footprint. And just the way the trees were who whoever mutilated these trees had to have big hands and a lot of strength i'm talking big branches twisted like matchsticks and the one tree that was yanked out of the ground and and thrown well we went back i don't know a couple days later a week later something like that and woody and i said the exact same thing we said like it had been it was a crime scene that was cleaned up you would never know there was a tree yanked out of the ground all of the branches and everything we're all gone, but it's not like someone came in with a chainsaw. It's like it never happened. Like it was a crime scene yeah. that was cleaned up. And so it's fascinating that that guy said it like the area had been sanitized. Um, yeah. Why do you think there is? Why do you think there is a cover up? I don't know why they, they seem to do that, but, but uh, I think you're right. I think there is a cover up, but I, I, I can't answer why. Yeah. It's very strange. Well, Doug, I'll have to have you back on the show. I I really enjoyed talking with you um, and having well, you share. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, and if people are down there um, in southeastern Ohio, how could they get a hold of you, Doug, if they want to talk to you about what they've seen? Well, they can get a hold of me through my Facebook page or our uh, Southeastern Ohio Society for Bigfoot Investigation page. And... Uh, We've kind of finished up uh, our uh, our speaking engagements for this year. Um, we're going to take a couple months off and we're going to work on this new book, and then we'll start again next year. Um, and then been doing about 20, 20 uh, talks a year, you know, whether at uh, libraries or conferences and stuff. But uh, best places is through Facebook or uh, and they could email me too. Well, Doug, thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me on, Wes. And that's it for tonight, everyone. Remember, if you've had an encounter, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. Please visit sasquatchchronicles.com, and I will see you guys next time.
Run into Old Navy Saturday and Sunday for 50% off all Old Navy active styles for adults and kids. They're all 50% off, but hurry, it's Saturday and Sunday only at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 215 to 216 excludes in-store clearance and baby.